Will you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship? We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we were preaching the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteousness, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each other, or with each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, conforming, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. Mark is on vacation today and has asked me to fill in for him. And if you have your Bibles, could you please open uh, your Bible or your app to Acts chapter 16. We'll be looking at that text in just a few moments. Before we dig into God's Word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have made it possible for us to call you Father, that through your Son you've adopted us to be your people. Father, we pray that your will be done, for we know that whatever you do is good. Father, help us to grow up and to walk in your ways, to be your people, your tools that you can use in this world for your purposes. Father, we pray for this congregation, this church family. We, we pray that we might continue to mature in Christ and to, to grow into the image of Christ more and more. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us and your patience with us in helping us as we continue to grow in Christ. Father, be with us. We need you. We need the strength, the help. We need you each day. And it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Throughout our country, each year in the fall, some farmers will take a piece of their cornfield and turn it into a corn maze. And such mazes can be a lot of fun. And I'm just kind of curious, how many people have actually gone to a corn maze? All right, quite, quite a few of us gone out and experienced those corn mazes and, and uh, tried to navigate the way through them and decide, you know, at this point, do I go left, do I go right? And if someone knows the maze well, that person could provide guidance they might stand at a, at a particular juncture and say, you know, if you go that way, you're going to be going down a dead end that takes a long time to get to. Uh, but if you go this way, this is going to be leading you in the path that you need to be going. Well, imagine now a much more daunting and sophisticated maze where the stakes are much higher. Higher than just whether or not you're going to find the exit in a timely manner. You know, we could use such a maze as a metaphor 
for navigating life, making those important decisions. You know, do I need to go this way and make a decision this way in life or, or do I need to go this way? In such a maze, it would be very helpful to have a reliable guide. Someone who could say, let me tell you about how to live. God has intended fathers to be such guides for their children. Fathers play an important role in training their children and raising them up and providing them principles and understanding on how they need to navigate life. And godly fathers will desire to help prepare their children to know how to live in this world that God has created, but how to live before God and to honor Him. We discover in the letter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul interacting with the church. He's training it. He's trying to help it mature in the same way that a father cares for his children and tries to help them grow up. And later we're going to come back to this idea of fatherhood. But for the moment, let's consider how Paul encouraged the church at Thessalonica to make godly choices and how he tried to help them grow and mature in Christ. Using our maps and a Bible, we can relive a little bit of Paul's relationship with that Thessalonian church. And if we allow it, the story that we discover between Paul and that Thessalonian church, it can also be a story that can challenge us, that can encourage us to be the disciples that God would have us be. The story, the story of Paul and the Thessalonians, it, it doesn't begin in Thessalonica. It begins in another city called Philippi. And you'll remember that this is the city where Paul and Silas's ministry activities led to, to the charge that they, as Jews, were trying to advocate customs that were unlawful for Romans to accept. And so if you have your Bibles open, you hear Acts chapter 16 and verse 20 and 21. This charge is brought against Paul and Silas. These, these, these Jews have come to our city and they're teaching things that we Romans can't follow. Now, if you remember the city of Philippi and its character and nature, you can understand that the ones who brought this charge knew exactly what button to push. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a city where retired military would go. This is a very patriotic city, loyal to Rome. And how would you stir up a city like that? These strangers have come in and they're, they're teaching things that, that's against our Roman customs that we can't follow. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22, tells us what happens next. The crowd joined the attack against them and the magistrates, these city officials, tear the clothes off of Paul and Silas and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had them beaten severely, they threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to guard them securely. Receiving such orders, he threw them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The next day, 
these city officials, these magistrates, sent word for them to be released. It's not hard to imagine how they're thinking. Yeah, we had some troublemakers come in, but we roughed them up. We showed them what Philippi's all about. They've learned their lesson. Okay, just let them go now. They'll be on down the road. Paul and Silas respond. Youth publicly had us thrown into prison, beaten, but we are Roman citizens. We didn't even have a trial. And you beat us and throw us into jail. No, if you put us into such, you know, infamy and, and made our name bad and threw us into jail, then you come and publicly lead us out the front door. We're not going out the back door. And just leaving that reputation hang as, as you made it appear. Well, they, they come and they escort them out and they plead with them, please, please, please leave our city. And after leaving the, the prison, Paul and Silas, they go to the, the new church group that has just been formed, that new church, and they encourage them, but then they move on. The story picks up in Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. After, after they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, think about this. Paul and Silas have just been beaten severely. They've traveled to Thessalonica. Perhaps some of that bruising is still visible. Perhaps some of those spots are still tender to the touch and, and there's, there's pain and, and soreness if you touch on those spots where they have been beaten. Now they've come into another city. There's a Jewish synagogue. And Paul is at if you will, in the corn maze. And there is a, two different ways he can go. What is he going to do? You see, when you announce that the God of heaven has sent his son to die for people, to die for their sins, and then God has raised him up from the dead, exalted him over all, and caused him to reign so that Jesus is Lord. Announcing that message disturbs a whole lot of people for different reasons. On the one hand, such a message confronts the synagogue. It, it confronts them to acknowledge that the God of heaven, the, the God of their fathers, has made Jesus the Messiah, the one that he's working through. Paul himself years earlier, before he was a Christian, when he heard that message, it, it, it riled him up. And he became a persecutor of the church. He knows all about how that message can offend. And in his own missionary travels, he himself has received retaliation because of that message. But it's not only the synagogue that he would offend by, by presenting this message. It's also the Romans good Roman citizens honored Caesar as Lord. And to announce that Jesus is Lord could challenge the very fabric of Roman society and authority. And in fact, that's one of the charges that will come against Paul as he travels on this missionary journey. The charge comes against him. They are all acting against Caesar's decree, saying there is another king named Jesus. So what should Paul do? 
He's in Thessalonica. There's a synagogue. The city is filled with good citizens. Should he just preserve his own skin and be quiet? Or does the need of the many to hear the message so that God can rescue those who will respond? Combined with the fact that the Lord has told his disciples to spread the good news. Do, do these things outweigh personal safety? Paul had an example to follow. Jesus did not walk away from what he would go through for us. Paul knew that the mission is bigger than our feelings. And so we read in 1 Thessalonians 2, in verse 2, Although we suffered earlier and were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of opposition. Acts chapter 17, verse 2, describes the details of that teaching. Paul went to the Jews in the synagogue, as he customarily did. And on three Sabbath days, he addressed them from the Scripture, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large group of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And so you have both the Jews as well as those God-fearing Greeks, those that would have been there as well in the synagogue. They, they hear the message and they respond to it. And they become followers, disciples of Jesus. And a number of prominent women as well. Well, how can godly leaders train others to navigate life well? Christian education is more than just lecture. It involves modeling lifestyle choices. And Paul has just provided a role model in choosing to proclaim Christ in that setting. And like a good father, Paul had provided a, a role model to be imitated. And, and that church, they learned the lesson they learn how to navigate choices. Do I just be quiet and not say anything about Jesus? Or do I announce this message to other people because they need what God has provided? They learned how to live. And so Paul can write in 1 Thessalonians 1, starting in verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit despite great affliction. As a result... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth. Not just in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place reports of your faith in God have spread. So we don't need to say anything. Notice what Paul can write about this whole church, the church in Thessalonica. He says, you became imitators. Now, that, if we put that in good Texan, 
It's all y'all became good imitators. This is in the plural in the original language. This is not just a few individuals, a few leaders of the church who are going out and, and letting this message. But he's saying, all of y'all, that, that's what you are doing. And Paul is praising this very young church because they get it and they're living it. Yes, they loved God. Yes, they loved others. And they shared with others the wonderful news what God had accomplished in Christ. It echoed out from them for us in order to change the world. However, not everyone in the synagogue embraced the message. And those who did not embrace the message instigated some unscrupulous characters to incite a mob reaction there in Thessalonica and create confusion within the city. And realizing the danger that Paul and his companions were in, the brothers send Paul and Silas off to Berea during the night. It's from Berea that Paul will then travel on down to Athens. And you remember that Athens is where Paul would go before the philosophers on Mars Hill and give that famous sermon, that speech of his. But while Paul is in Athens, he's not forgotten about this, this fledgling church established in Thessalonica. Like a father who's concerned about his children and, and their welfare and their growing up, Paul wants to know, how is that, that church doing? He knew they faced hostile conditions because of Christ, and he wanted to encourage them to, to navigate these difficulties and, and to continue to grow and to take the next step in, in being the people that God would have them be. He knew that for them to be those disciples, they would need to stand firm in the Lord in spite of whatever opposition they encountered. So as he writes 1 Thessalonians to them in chapter 2, starting in verse 17, we hear his heart while he's there in Athens. It's an anxious time for Paul and the other missionaries with him. We, we learn of it, their efforts to try to care for this congregation up there in Thessalonica. And so he writes, But when we were separated from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in presence, not in affection, we became all the more fervent in our great desire to see you in person. For we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, in fact tried again and again, but Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope or joy or crown to boast of before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not, of course, you? For you are our glory and joy. So, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to stay on in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker for God in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and encourage you about your faith so that no one would be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For in fact, when we were with you, we were telling you in advance that we would suffer affliction. And so it has happened, as you well know. So when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter somehow tempted you and our toil had proven useless." 
but now. But now Timothy has come to us from you and given us the good news of your faith and love and that you are always think of us with affection and long to see us just as also we long to see you. For now we are alive again, if you stand firm in the Lord. We pray earnestly, night and day, to see you in person and make up what may be lacking in your faith. Listen to the concern. Listen to the effort and, and what Paul is, is putting forth to try to help and ensure that this young church is going to grow up and mature and, and be the people that they need to be. From Athens, Paul, Timothy, and Silas will, will travel on down to Corinth. And this is where they write the letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. They'll send it back up to Thessalonica and communicate with them. This is a letter filled with helping a young congregation take the next steps toward maturity. The first half of the letter, we've read parts of it already. The first half of the letter is filled with the missionaries reminding the Thessalonians, about their relationship, their care. It will remind them of the example, the role model that they have experienced while the missionaries were with them in Thessalonica. Part of that, 1 Thessalonians 2, listen to the example. And as you listen to it, you also hear so much of fathers. For you recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery by working night and day so as not to impose a burden on any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, as to how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was toward you who believe. As you know, we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children, exhorting and encouraging you and insisting that you live in a way worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and his, and his glory. Paul and the other missionaries didn't want to be a burden on the church, so they worked night and day in order to be able to provide so the church would not have to. Uh, furthermore, Paul and his companions would provide an example of what it means to be holy and godly, righteous conduct. In the second half of 1 Thessalonians, they guide the church in these next steps toward Christian maturity. And Paul is going to wrap up this letter with three big ideas for maturing in Christ. He introduces these ideas in chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and, and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you, as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God, as in fact you are living, that you do so more and more. As we look at this text, where he's going to switch from talking about their relationship and, what, and reminding the Thessalonians what they have seen into beginning to point to some big ideas that they need to focus on in growing up in Christ. Notice how he begins. He contains here a methodology that parents need to use. He contains here a methodology that church leaders need to use. We've told you how to live, and then he points to something that is true 
and encouraging. And he says, as you are in fact living. To look at what someone is already doing, how they've already begun, and to praise them and say, yes, you've taken some good steps and encourage. And Paul begins, as he starts to describe what they need to do, he praises them, look at what you're already doing. You are, in fact, already living in this way. Well, what do they need to do? The first big idea that he's going to throw at them is know how to please God. And it's it's general, it's, it's some basics Some general ideas about living to please God. Chapter 4, verse 3. He will remind them to live holy and godly, self-controlled lives. Remember the context that he's writing this to. It's the Greco-Roman context. As a sample of that culture, we might look at what Paul Venne has written in his History of Private Life about that time period. He wrote that that young unmarried men within the Roman Empire, were granted allowances for the heat of youthful passions. He he describes, especially in the city of Rome, how even gangs would go out and it was dangerous at night. And young men will be young men. Paul reminds the disciples that their lives were to be different than what the surrounding culture is holy, godly, self-controlled lives. But what else pleases God? Chapter 4, verse 9, you need to love, and not only love, but you need to be engaged in work and provide so that you have something and you can sustain yourself. Love others and be at work. And once again, Paul can encourage them for they've started well. In chapter 4, and verse 10, indeed, you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters. And we urge you to do so more and more. But a second big idea, what would this church need as it pushes forward? He says, know about the dead in Christ. Now that might surprise us. Why do you want us to know about the dead in Christ? He will say that those who have died in Christ are not going to miss out on Christ's blessings. That when Christ returns, those who belong to him, as well as those who belong to him but who have died, all of them together will be together with the Lord forever. And this informs a worldview. It informs a framework to understand life. He will say, encourage each other with these words. You see, understanding what is going to happen in the future can help you live now. Is it worth it to keep going down this road? Well, what if I die before Christ comes back? It doesn't matter, Paul says. It's worth it. Because whether you're alive or whether you've passed on, if you're in Christ, you're going to be together with the Lord. And he prepares them to persevere in their Christian living. A third big idea that he gives them is know how everything ends. There's a a book written several years ago about how to be successful And in that book, one of the principles that are given is to begin with the end in mind. Know what the goal is. Know know how things end so you know how to live today. 
so that you can be there and you can get there. Paul is going to tell them to know how it all ends. And the end is Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back, Paul says, at a time when people are going, it's, there's peace, there's safety. In other words, today and tomorrow and the day after that are all going to be the same. P- business is going to be business. Life is going to be life. We've experienced day after day after day after day, and it's just going to be more day and day and day, and there's peace. Everything is okay. My 401, my <laughs> investments, work's going well. Kids are doing this or that. And then Jesus comes back in the midst of that. And he wants the Thessalonians to know how it's all going to end. And he says, he's going to come back like a thief in the night. A thief. Thieves don't send you something in the mail next Tuesday at 7. They don't even send, they're not even polite enough to send you next Tuesday. No, they just show up. Life's going on, and they just show up. And Paul wants the Thessalonian church to remember how it all ends. One day, Jesus just shows up like a thief in the night. So if that's the end, how do you live to be ready for that day? And Paul says, since these things are true, we must stay sober by putting on the breastplate of faith. And love is a helmet, our hope of salvation. For God did not destine us for wrath, but for gaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are alive or asleep, we will come together with him. We'll come to life together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one each other up just as in fact you are doing. God has a plan. God has predetermined that those that belong to his son are going to be saved. And that's their destiny. If you belong to the son, your destiny, the future for you is God is going to save you. And Jesus died to make that possible. Well, because the Lord's coming back unexpectedly, because God's plan is to save those that belong to His Son, those within the church need to put on that armor of God. They need to live in this world for Him. Begin with the end in mind. Encourages us to prepare for our future by growing up in Christ now. On this Father's Day, the letter of First Thessalonians is particularly appropriate. Paul's relationship with the Thessalonian church reveals the kind of care and parenting a godly dad has for his children. Paul modeled how to make decisions based on serving God. He showed courage to stand up for what is right even when it's difficult. He sought the church's welfare by working hard and providing His care and concern for their well-being caused him to encourage them and exhort them on how they needed to live before their God, a God whom all will meet. He emphasized key principles to help them take the next step in growing in their maturity. He encouraged by praising them for what they were already doing well. You know, our church family possesses examples of godly fathers. 
Fathers whose lives have been changed by Christ. And they in turn are striving to teach their children and provide the example. Teaching them how to live and to grow up. To be people who understand who God is and to know how to live well in this world as His people. The church needs godly men. Men of courage. Men who protect and provide. Men who care deeply. Men who encourage and exhort. If we're going to love others and change the world, we will both need to demonstrate God's love through our actions to those around us, as well as tell others about our Heavenly Father and the love that He's poured out toward people of every nation and language and tribe. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. God has made it possible for all people to belong to Him. And He loves all people so much that He gave His Son so that everyone who comes to Him and relies on His Son, He will adopt into His family. And He will be in that relationship with them as a heavenly Father to them. And He will rescue and save and bless them. And it's in grace He pours all this out because no one can deserve it. No one can earn it. And He calls the people of the world. He says, change your heart. Change your life. No longer live for yourselves. You're not going to be in control anymore. You put Jesus as Lord on the throne of your life. So that Jesus, so that God is going to tell us how to live. And if we come to Christ and we choose to, yes, I want to make you Lord of my life. And we're buried with him in baptism, acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. We're raised up by his power into a new life. A life that he makes possible. He takes our brokenness. He takes all of the, the junk, whatever it is. He forgives us. And he begins working in our lives. For his glory and his honor. We have a heavenly father who loves us. Well, this morning we have that opportunity not only to present any prayer requests that, that we might have for our, our brothers and sisters, but if someone has not yet made that decision and given their life to serve the Lord, we've got that opportunity now to come while we stand and sing. Lord, the light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness, shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us, set us free by the truth. You now bring us shine on me, shine on